the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 376. I'm Paul Spain. Craig Herbison. Jason Hosking. Welcome along, guys. Thank you very much for uh, joining the show. Now, Craig, your first time on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Indeed. So... Maybe you can let listeners know where uh, where you fit into this world of uh, technology in New Zealand. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, very exciting to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, I, I run a, a technology company called Plexure, which is uh, listed here in the New Zealand uh, Stock Exchange. Uh, we're a marketing automation company that works uh, with the likes of McDonald's, IKEA, Seven Eleven, uh, globally delivering technology that helps them uh, with their customers in physical retail. And some people may remember the name VMOB. That's correct. So that was the first iteration of of the company um, when it was predominantly known for being a mobile voucher business, which was VMOB. Uh, Our propositions extended out a little bit further than that now, hence the uh, the renaming to Plexure, which uh, I'm reliably informed means internet or weaving of things together, which is really what we're trying to achieve with new technologies around internet of uh, things type stuff. Cool. Well, we're definitely keen to hear hear mm. a bit more uh, later on during the show in terms of you know, what's the latest, what uh, what you're up to. Um, and Jason, now you sort of sit on that uh, that position where you've got an interest in technology, but you've got uh, you've got a fair bit of expertise on this photography thing, which we wanted to talk to you sort of draw draw from today because there's been a bunch of new smartphones uh, announced in the last uh, forty eight hours. And uh, photography seems to be a big, uh, big part of it. Yeah, that's what I do. I'm a photographer, um, an award-winning photographer. He's always yeah. very shy, as Jason, to sort of highlight that he's you know won the New Zealand Geographic Photographer of the Year award and you know whole whole lot of others. But um, yeah, a lot of expertise. So thank you for Paul. joining the show. All right, well, uh, let, let's jump in now. Um, one local story that I just um, just picked up on. Uh, through the good folks at uh, N- NBR is that we've had a um, uh, another New Zealand company that's a uh, technology company that's attracted uh, attention globally and uh, has been sold. So uh, BBC Technologies, which is, is nothing to do with... Um, Broadcasting, British Broadcasting Corporation, nothing to do with the uh, Birkenhead Brewing Company. Uh, this is BBC Technologies based in uh, Hamilton, uh, who a manufacturer of um, fruit sorting technology, basically. Uh, and so they've done this uh, deal, and um, it's a, an accident, just just under um, seventy million dollars. Uh, and the interesting thing is that this is sort of a follow-on because um, the Auckland-based uh, company Compact, which also focused on uh, fruit fruit sorting technology, uh, they were they were acquired by Tomra, um, who for for a similar sum for around seventy million dollars in, uh, in in twenty sixteen. So uh, yeah, a, a pretty large uh, Norwegian. Uh, company that's um, yeah making these uh, ac- acquisitions. So 
Yeah, it's it's always there's always sort of you know uh, I guess two two sides when we hear about these things. There's a oh well, haven't we done well to attract attention and and get sold? But then it's another company going um, you know to to offshore ownership. What are your thoughts on this one, Craig? Well, I think, you know, New Zealand tech is pretty hot at the moment. I, two weeks ago, I was up at a SAS conference in San Francisco, something like 60 New Zealand companies up there. Um, every event you went to, people said they were running into New Zealanders all over the place, which, uh, you know, I think is great, you know, for the sector and the industry. Um, it's, uh, you know, there's obviously the some big names out there have been very successful zero push pay of late um, so I think it's a very exciting time for us and that sort of innovative lens of what New Zealand can do for the world I think is great on the world stage and we should be doing more of it absolutely yeah yeah no I, th- I mean it's 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 pleasing to see New Zealand innovation get recognized especially uh, you know in a in a manner like this where mm. uh, there's there's money that's being you know hopefully flowing back or flowing back into New Zealand from it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jason, you've you've done quite a bit of um, you know photography around um, probably more the recycling uh, rather than fruit sorting. But we were talking earlier. You were talking about a you know machine that was uh, you know trans sort of conveyor building all sorts of uh, stuff for recycling. Uh, but that technology doesn't seem to have caught up yet, right? It's still a huge amount of uh, manual sorting that uh, that that goes in because you spent some time uh, shooting a story. Was it uh, New Zealand Geographic you shot that, that yeah, story yeah. for on um, recycling? That's right. It was a story on waste. Um, that was a few years ago now. And, um, yeah, the technology in New Zealand – the, the, at the particular place where I went, it was all manually sorted. So a bulldozer would come in with its big scoop, dump it down on a conveyor, and then there was a team of uh, guys that would just, as that stuff came through, they would manually take out the bottles and the cans and metals and plastic wrap and stuff like that. So it was very laborious. And, yeah, what a tough job. Those guys, are they work really hard and um, good at what they do. So this kind of technology interesting just talking about it now you know like it'd be great to have technology that can sort this stuff but then here's these people that have a livelihood um from our waste that um yeah just talking to you now i've just thought about that it's like wow that's an interesting um you know weighing that up yeah, I mean, I guess that you know the nature of technological progress is we will see we will see change. There'll be mm. you know some roles that will disappear, but there'll be new you know new things that we end up doing. And um, yeah, the, the, you know, I guess a bit for me, I'm curious about is what that will ultimately look like when we get you know some years down the track. Do we get to a point where we can have? Three day weekends instead of two day weekends. That's 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 a bit I'm sort of hoping for. Yeah, well, um, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah I think yeah, it's in the recycling um, part of the conversation. The first sort and the second sort, if it's used to take some of the harm out of that experience that you, you know, the people are having, then that's probably a good use of that technology because I think there'll still be people needed to take whatever comes off the conveyor belt off whatever chute to then you know, put that into whatever needs to happen next. So that might be where that application, rather than, I think we're a long way off having a truck loading you know, a lot of waste or goods onto a conveyor and then you know, machines and Magic technology sort. yeah, sorting it out. Mm. Yeah, 
but well, maybe and maybe that's that creates some uh, some challenges for people that have been involved in uh, in you know these these firms. That hey, there's there's plenty of other challenges to be had ahead, right? Yeah, well, I think it's a great application. You know, if you look at apples coming down a conveyor to be able to test if it's the right color, the right shape, and to sort into whatever. Um, they may be wanting to do. I think that's a great application. Where it goes next, I think, is probably the interesting piece, which is probably why um, you know it's been bought by a company which has a has an arm which is about recycling in a more broader sense. Mm-hmm. Now on to Mobile World Congress, which is that's kind of the the big event uh, this week in uh, in Barcelona. And look, we're going to dive in, and we've got uh, we've got one of the newest phones here uh, that that I got to have a preview of uh, last week before the announcement. So we'll talk through uh, that one from Samsung, and there's uh, yeah, a bunch of announcements across um, yeah, a number of companies in the in the in the tech world. Interestingly, not all of them are uh, not all of the announcements that we've heard about are, are on phones. Um, but yeah, certainly, certainly a lot, a lot going on uh, there. Um, for those that are interested in sort of the real in in depth uh, nitty gritty, then uh, check out the Mobile Tech Podcast, uh, which Miriam Joie hosts, and you can find that one um, up at worldpodcast.com. dot uh, com. She is uh, there at Mobile World Congress. I don't know how many years. Uh, she's been there, but probably uh, you know most of the last ten years or so, uh, and you know really gets uh, really gets into uh, into some some detail um, after um, after her her time there at the various uh, uh, press conferences and attendance in uh, in person. But uh, yeah, first up, uh, Samsung with the Galaxy S S nine. And I think it's you know it's fair to say that Samsung seemed to have kind of got their their head around uh, the design side of uh, of smartphones over the last uh, last couple of years, and you know when the uh, S eight launched last year, it certainly got uh, um, you know pretty positive reception. This idea of a of a phone with a screen that you know virtually covered the whole f- uh, uh, front of the phone course waterproof and wireless charging and and those sorts of things um as with as with any new phone there were there were always uh, one or two things to be uh, to be critical about um and one of them was the uh, the fingerprint reader uh on the s8 last year that uh, trying to get your uh, your finger on on that to unlock uh, unlock your phone you might find your finger uh landing in the middle of the camera uh, instead uh, so that's something that they've uh, they've tweaked on on uh, on the new phone, uh, but it seems to be a big uh, big focus on uh, photography this year with the Galaxy um, S nine and the S nine plus, and there is a difference between those uh, those two phones. So the um, the S nine has got a, a single camera on the rear, whereas the S nine plus has a dual uh, camera. I'm quite a big fan of the idea of having a, a camera with the zoom lens, which the iPhone 10 has, um, a, as does the um, the new Galaxy S9 Plus. But the smaller uh, S9 doesn't. You guys have thoughts on this? Do you do you um, you know find it annoying not having a, a zoom uh, lens on your smartphone in your pocket? Because Jason, you're you know you're used to using you know big professional. 
uh, you know, camera, you've got your, you know, stacks of, of lenses and so on, or does that just not even cross your mind with a, with a smartphone? You don't, um, you don't think it, because I guess for a lot of us, the camera that we've got is the one that's, that's with us. And, you know, most of the camera that you've mostly got with you is your uh, smartphone, right? Well, the best, the best camera is the one you got with you. So, um, for me personally, um, I really enjoy times where I, I don't have my heavy gear. Um, you know, of course, there's limitations to that, but just having a phone, you know, in your pocket. Um, yeah, I haven't got this big zoom and all that kind of stuff, but I know that already. And so I, you know, I'm not probably photographing the same kind of things. So I kind of work within the boundaries of that. Um, yeah, I've I've got an old seven plus, which is uh, you know I can an do, iPhone, uh, an iPhone. Yeah, yeah, um, can hit the two you know two times thing, so I can sort of you know it's a sort of a zoom. Yeah, but, you've got uh, that two times optical zoom in the in the in the seven plus, haven't you? And so that that I think that was the the first phone that we saw that had that uh, um, you know actual optical zoom. Um, built into it. Craig, what phone are you using? Well, I'm just using an iPhone at the moment. I can't remember which version it is, but yep. uh, it's not an X or anything. But yep. um, I, I guess it's uh, it's what you use the phone for. And I've come from the uh, the Kodak Instamatic generation, where you know you you, you push the shutter and uh, four days later, hopefully something came out of the pharmacy that was that was usable. Yeah. So I think you know my behaviour around um, photography on the phone is still very much in that: take a snap, take a snap, and see what turns up. And like all these things, there's a lot of amazing capabilities um, and technology in these phones. I just wonder for the ordinary person how much they actually use. Um, but again, it could be a generational type thing. You know, the, the new generation, which is more about sharing and, and making sure their pictures are right on Instagram and other social platforms, are probably more likely to tweak um, the images that they take than probably what I am, which is really just storage of memories. Yeah. So I think it yeah. comes down to, you know, what um, you know what, what you use your phone for. Yeah, and both of those are totally valid. You know, yeah. storage or, or photograph, f- photography for the purpose of memories is actually – it's been going on for a long time, you know, and it's totally, it's a totally valid form of photography. The box brownies, um, you know, I, I, my my personal take on uh, camera phones is it's, it's kind of, I mean, although it does way way more, it's kind of for most people it is like the modern equivalent of that. It's just, it's always there. People have always got them with them, so memories are so easy to capture day to day. Um, and then being, you know, many computers, um, you, if you want to process or tweak, you can do that so easily. So um, in, in one sense, you've kind of got the best of both worlds there. Um, for me, for me, where, where camera phones uh, fall down a little bit is the creativeness, you, you know, like I've trained in a dark room, so I'm a little bit old school. I'm all digital now, but... Um. So you would yeah. have had a lot of con- you have a lot of controls, right? On, That's right. on a professional camera, absolutely. Yeah, and so all of those things are constraints, and you you learn to use those in a way that gives you creativity mm. once you understand them. Um, this this new Samsung has got a a, a dual iris, I think, and so I, I had a chance to have a quick look at their their specs today. Mm. Um. And that's kind of 
sort of exciting, I guess, for the future of uh, mobile photography. Um, what what that means, uh, you know, an iris on a, on a SLR camera or on this new new phone is it's a little bit like your eye. So when when it's sunny outside, your uh, iris gets smaller, closes and, up, and yeah. when it's dark, it will get bigger to let more light in, and it's exactly yeah. the same with. Uh, SLRs or this this new phone, but and this yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, and I I saw that when we were playing around with it last week, and you, yeah, you can you can you can actually see it sort of you know uh, you know opening and closing as you as you adjust those uh, settings, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, what that means from a from a, someone who wants to maybe be a bit more creative with their iPhone or with their phone photography is um, you know setting a, a, a smaller. Or, or a large aperture, which is, you know, I think this is a 1.5. Um, what that does is it gives you a very wide, um, shallow depth of field. So you, right. you kind of get that nice bokeh effect wh- where the foreground or whatever your uh, subject is focused on, that's sharp, and then the, the background is out of focus. Right. Um, I, I just had a quick play before, and it's pretty impressive for what it is you know it, it, it won't take the place of a, a you know good SLR lens but it's I, I'm really impressed with what that do you, do you do you think one day we'll get to a point where the digital SLR type you know camera will be you know strictly you know professionals that you know most people will be there to get so close to it on a on a smartphone, do you think they're going to be able to develop the technologies, or is it just there's a sort of size and there's a limitation of how much light can get through the the lens on a smartphone and, and so on? Because they've had varying kind of, I guess, your in between type mixes where you've got a you know say an Android phone that's attached to a kind of a, a portable camera with a zoom lens, um, but the, the, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure whether we can. Get, it's the lens piece, I guess. That's the limitation, isn't it, in terms of what you can do on a phone? Um, you probably probably getting a little bit outside of my expertise here. But, you know, and tech, talking about um, the electronic technology and stuff. Um, I think, I mean, the the sensors and things now it's it's just incredible. You know what what that stuff can produce. A really good lens, uh, you can't beat that. It's like from from when I first started, that was like the best thing you could invest in. Was, it was good all, glass? It was all about your lens, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, good glass. And can you remember when you started? You know, you moved across because you were you know analog shooting on film. And you moved into the digital work. You remember how many megapixels was sort of the the first digital SLR you got? Or was that uh, too too many years ago? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was twelve megapixels. That thing, right? So that's um, that's what we're now we're now seeing in terms of the definition. Yeah. In the smartphone in your pocket, which is quite astounding, because I, you know, I, I remember when you were doing that, and you were, um, at, you know, I think you still are. You were, con- you know, contributing to um, the Getty Images photo library, of, you know, wherever they're headquartered, New York or something, and you'd take. You know, you'd be taking this stuff and getting it all prepped to, uh, you know, to send off to them. And now that same definition. Um, yeah, yeah, not the lens behind it, but um, you're, you're getting with your smartphone. Now we're starting to just just slowly move into uh, some of those sort of traditional camera type capabilities with this dual aperture feature. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, I mean, the megapixel thing has been around for a while. Um, 
you know, so it's not all about megapixels. No, I think no. This is what and you we've seen, you know, mobiles with 20 and 40 megapixels yeah. as well, haven't we? And that's where you sort of hit the limitations of the, the lenses, right? Yeah, and I guess you're looking for maybe a holy grail of, of um, sensor size, lens quality, or, or sensor quality, um, megapixel size and, and, and lens. So, yeah, um, you know, and far, as far as where the future's going with all of this, it's uh, it's kind of exciting, you know. Like a lot of people, you know, people shooting feature films or docos with this kind of stuff, and um, you know, there's people just really pushing the technology and being creative with it. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's quite interesting that you can you can go to that sort of point now, right? Because the the, the quality is so good. And yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious to see what we'll see from a creative perspective as as because um, it's not just uh, Samsung that have that have launched new stuff from a camera perspective. Um, Sony have announced their new uh, Xperia uh, XZ2, and uh, we've got the previous model from uh, Sony here that they sent across late last year. So um, yeah, hopefully they'll be able to fire one of those across. Um, and there's certainly a bit of crossover between some of the things that uh, Samsung and, and Sony are doing on a you know, photography front. And, of course, you know, Sony, known for a long time for uh, their technology, which is embedded in the Nikon cameras you use. And, and uh, you know, I think lots, lots and lots of uh, smartphones. So uh, those that are really interested in the photography side, you probably want to, have a look at that aspect of the reviews and you know specifications but um, both what Sony and Samsung are doing uh, seems to take the, things to a, another level as far as sort of high speed shooting so both of them refer to frame rates of up to 960 frames per second which is quite astounding mm. um, and they're quite different in terms of how you know what what the two work from the initial bits I've read it seems like uh, Sony might uh, might take the cake there in terms of uh, that fast uh, fast shooting, but that's more for that's more for sort of slowing stuff down, isn't it? It's kind of uh, you know getting getting that um, uh, slow mo mo type stuff. Is yeah, kind of cool. that, that kind of speed would be. Um, let's say you're a surf videographer, um, or, or or a nature videographer, or something like that, and you're filming um, waves breaking or you know dolphins jumping out of the water filming at that kind of rate um, when you play that back it, it, you just get really smooth and you see all the detail and it's just slow right down and mm. um, BBC um, you know some of their uh, the Blue Planet 2 and you know they've used some of that technology where with even faster frame rates mm. but uh, much more expensive camera yeah. technology. So um, making that available broadly is, is is I guess what we're getting used to in the technology world, isn't it? They invent something that at one point is a you know hundred thousand dollar item, and then not too many years later, we're starting to see elements of that turn up just in your uh, your everyday device in your pocket. Yeah, that's <laughs> so yeah. It's a l- little bit hard to get your head around so- sometimes when. You know, with just how quickly these things uh, advance, and of course there are challenges because you imagine, yeah, you know, if you're shooting a, a documentary for the BBC in terms of all the all the gear and so on that they that they've got, 
um, and you're trying to replicate that on the phone that's in your pocket and hold it steady and you know so on. Um, th- those things get a little bit harder, don't they? It's not it's not quite quite the same. That you is. turn up at the beach trying to get some uh, s- shots of you know slow motion shots of somebody in the surf versus uh, you know what a filmmaker can get with with a full crew and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I I don't know the specs of those phones, but I'd be interested to know how long you can actually film for at that kind of frame rate um yeah well the uh the samsung their, their particular one does it for uh, a fifth of a second so it yeah. picks up the motion and then flicks when you've got that setting on um it'll do that there's highest frame rates and they vary according to what resolution you're at so i think they do 960 frames per second when you're shooting in in hd i think the sony one does it in full hd at that frame rate um and yeah, Samsung does it for a, a, yeah, a fifth of a second at that before it you know it flips back to uh, normal speeds because I guess that it gets quite hot and there's a lot of processing and so on that's going on yeah. to be able to actually handle that. Yeah, um, so that, that's not going to yeah. that's not going to compete with the uh, BBC production crews just yet. <laughs> not quite yet. Not quite yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do you do, um, do either of you do much in terms of video on your on your phone, or is it mostly mostly stills? I do a little bit of the, uh, the video, um, but again, it's sort of capturing those memories rather than producing films uh, <laughs> of sort. Um, and I think you know, there's when, when you look at the capabilities they're built into these phones. I guess the question is, how much is it for really dri- uh, driven by customer demand for these new features, or how much is it then a bit of a race of who has the better features to have a great story to, to sell the device? Um, because again, um, you know, how many people would probably use you know the the capabilities that these phones would have to sort of do the sort of photography that you do on a daily basis. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I think for me, you know, I, I would love to be able to do what I do on on my, you know, high-end camera with the phone that's always in my pocket. Um, and it's fair to say that over the last few years, it's become rarer and rarer that I'll, you know, that I'll actually take the full-blown, you know, full-size camera because uh, it's just like, oh, I've got to carry that thing around. Yeah. Uh, but I'd love to have that, you know, have that ability to to get that that quality and so on. That said, um, you've got to keep upgrading that high end gear pretty regularly as well, uh, yeah. right? And, yeah, you know, for you, Jason, that's uh, that's right at the the top price point. It's not just a you know one or two thousand uh, dollar you know purchase. It can be uh, you know ten thousand dollars to uh, to, yeah. to make those sort of those sort of purchases. So yeah, well that's that's if you're uh, with SLRs, you know, if you're shooting um, medium format, you know, you're fifty thousand bucks, you know, to upgrade your system. So um, yeah, what, one of the things that I would really like to see from sort of camera manufacturers at that, at that level is. Um, you know, just thinking on a, on a global perspective, you know, we talked a little bit about waste or consumption before. You know, I'd like to see those kind of guys, um, you know, because they, they change the cameras like it, like iPhones or, or Samsungs. It's every year. And um, that, that can be passed on to someone else. But um, I guess as a professional, the cameras that I used to shoot when I shot film – you know, I could pick one of those up now, put a roll of film in it, 
and I can I can shoot it. Um, but the camera I have now in 10, 20 years' time, you know, like, will the battery even work in it? If And if it does, can I even charge it? So, um, yeah, I, so I guess what I'd, I'd really like to see uh, manufacturers start doing is being more, I don't know, thinking about the bigger picture. And, and I'd be really happy to pay to upgrade my camera. And as an example, um, you know, it's magnesium alloy body, so it's it's like a tank, right? Um, and to be able to take that back to the manufacturer and then have them just upgrade the sensor and the electronics. So, you know, it's my thinking as a, a you know a photographic con- professional photographic consumer that seems like it should be possible. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know if other people have thought about that, but. Um, yeah, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because we're sort of trapped in this constantly changing, getting the latest technology, the latest kit, the latest phone. But there are issues around you know, memory storage, um, file um, sizes, formats, those sorts of things where very quickly you could have something which is five years old, which is effectively unusable. And even to the point where if you've lost your battery charger... <laughs> <laughs> end up with a drawer of devices with all your <laughs> memories and videos and stuff stored on it which um, you know you may not have uploaded to your PC or whatever which are sort of trapped in this little box mm. time capsule yeah it's, it's not it's not uh, not perfect is it it's um, and I and I don't I don't think we're going to solve these things you know anytime soon because there are all sorts of pressures and and you know, reasons why why um, yeah well I think there are opp- opportunities for um, you know businesses maybe to start being more ethical or conscious about production and well we've certainly seen some moves down that track but you know nothing's gained enough traction because I think while probably most of us think it's a good idea then we're still looking to the we're still looking to see well what's Apple or what's Samsung you know what are these big companies going to launch and um, you know, for for someone off to the side to do that, it's it's yeah, for a new company to come into it, it's pretty hard. And yeah, it would be very interesting if one of the big, you know, a big a big player, um, you know, was to was to do that with you know, as you, as you say, sort of you know, for instance, your bigger digital SLR cameras. But um, there probably is in every every new model. There's also a little bit of an advance with the battery and a little bit of advance with you know across all of the other components. So uh, it's whether whether yeah you know, people would be would be happy with that upgrade or or not. Well, just I mean, phones a- probably aren't a, aren't a good a good example for upgrade because they're all about getting shrunk down and being small and you know an all enclosed device. But something like a bigger camera. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe is, and yeah, we would see similar challenges around cars. You know, if you bought a uh, earlier model Tesla versus one that's out now, yeah, there's actually quite a bit of difference in terms of the technology that's uh, that's in there, and um, yeah, you might you'd be left high and dry potentially, in in, in some regards, uh, in the future, and yeah, uh, yeah it might look nice in a in a museum, but uh, they're not going to be much use for for other stuff once the software stops working, are they? No. Well, you so, can't get that charging cable anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched a um, an interesting documentary that I found on iTunes uh, recently called "The Greasy Hands Motorcycle Preachers," and um, really, if you if you're into motorcycles, 
and you like working with your hands, I highly recommend it. Um, what was really interesting is one of the guys in there talked about way, you know, way way back in the seventies when I was born. Um, <laughs> these bikes would actually come with a, a full manual and even tools, so that um, when when parts would inevitably break, you could repair it yourself. So they were designed and even back when things were designed to last. Yeah, yeah, and it was just and like, when people had the time to put into. Um, yeah, invest back into their machines. Yeah, but part of this whole documentary is that it's kind of like a resurgence of uh, people going back and and rebuilding, you know, rebuilding their bikes and actually using their hands to kind of create or fix and stuff like that. And uh, it was something really nice about that. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, certainly. You know, you mentioned the Tesla before, and it's like. And, you know, my car is very, you know, I can change a light bulb in it, but if I, you know, wanted to change the clutch plate or something like that, I couldn't do that anymore. Mm. Uh, Whereas that used to be fairly, 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 fairly commonplace. Simple. Yeah. Did you, did you have a, a car interest when you were younger, Craig? Yeah, I think my first car was a Volkswagen Beetle, which was pretty much a two-stroke because it did um, one litre of oil to every 20 of petrol, <laughs> <laughs> which probably wouldn't be allowed on the roads these days. And uh, you know, it had a gearbox that if you went to fourth gear and put your foot down, it popped out of gear, so I had to have a rubber band that went around the uh, heater, which didn't work either. So, But there was a manual that I had, which I wasn't technically literate, I guess a lot of ways mechanically, but it was the dummy's guide to the Volkswagen Beetle, yeah. and through that I could pretty much fix anything. Yeah. On that car yeah. Um, yeah. today, I guess you, you let someone plug the computer and tell you what's wrong, and then they say you a component that just slides in and out. Yeah, mm. such, such a different world, isn't it? Yeah. Um, now, ju- jumping back to Mobile World Congress, uh, lot, lots of other uh, announcements. LG, who, who don't, um, they don't have as much presence now in, in New Zealand. Uh, with their new devices, but they've announced their um, LG V V30s, which uh, which looks like a you know, a, a pretty um, slick smart smartphone. And it was LG last year that actually um, uh, internationally beat Samsung to the um, uh, to the game of having the sort of the the full screen uh, smart smartphone when they. Um, they launched the uh, what was it? I think the L- LG uh, G6 um, early early last year, and then Samsung sort of came out with this um, uh, following. Uh, Nokia have uh, have announced their uh, Nokia Eight um, uh, Sirocco, which is their sort of top end or, or, or flagship uh, phone as well. Uh, there was announcements from uh, announcement from Huawei, not around phones, but around a new uh, new laptop. Uh, so yeah, not quite so uh, so uh, focused there on the um, mobile device and bunch of bunch of other uh, announcements there at uh, Mobile World Congress. So definitely, if you want to dive into some of those things, there's lots of info on online. And uh, go and go and check out the uh, mobile tech podcast uh, at worldpodcast.com. Now on to some other uh, tech topics. Um, I caught up with the folks from uh, Unisys last week, and uh, one of the 
and and they they're, uh, they've gone through as a as a business globally something of a of a transformation and it was interesting getting them a, a bit of an update on um, you know on their business uh, but one of the things that they had uh, they had announced last week was uh, DigiPet service uh, that they're uh, they're offering to uh, to airlines that will allow um, pet owners to. Uh, not just monitor their pets when they're being transported in the air, uh, but actually chat with their pets. So uh, putting sensors in uh, with with their pet, um, setting up automated alerts, having uh, live video streaming and uh, and voice chat. Um, this is uh, this is an interesting um, step forward, isn't it, for uh, for pet owners? Yeah, yeah. I think you know the whole idea is to make a more stress stress less flight, but I just wonder if it's going to create more stress, you know, uh, for the owner that's sitting there somehow can't get connected to see what's going on every five minutes, <laughs> right? Or if Fluffy How's... stops moving, um, yeah, yeah, okay, which can even be more stressful. It, it might have fallen asleep, but you're not quite so sure whether That's it right. got gassed down there. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, for the pet <laughs> itself, when suddenly they're in this darkened cargo hold and the voice of the owner appears next to them might be quite of an um, unusual experience. So, yeah, nice technology. Um, I guess we'll see how usable it will be. Yeah, well, they've uh, apparently uh, debuted it with um, Air Cargo uh, India, so um, you know they're 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 underway with this uh, stuff, and um, yeah, there's there's a bit of a mark, market for it. Um, they said the uh, because Unisys are a big provider of. Um, uh, digital logistics solutions to uh, you know for, for air cargo uh, globally, and um, they said that the car- the twenty global carriers they work with transport something like one hundred and eighty thousand uh, animals annually. So um, you know they've got a, a reasonably big um, yeah reach there in terms of um, mm-hmm. uh, animals. They may they may have a chance to uh, uh, monitor in the future. But I, I guess this is just a taste of really where we're going with the Internet of Things and. You know the 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 cost of technology just shrinking down to the point that you know, any little thing you can think of, we're adding some technology to it that that may you know may improve an outcome or uh, improve some you know communications and confidence, whatever it may be. Um, you know the 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 technology is going to get added, isn't it? And uh, you know I think we'll see. That just you know increasing. It was uh, you know Samsung that announced that all of their um, uh, all of their appliances by twenty twenty will will all be connected. So you know if you're buying a Samsung appliance, whether it's a fridge or a washing machine, maybe vacuum cleaner, I'm not sure exactly what the scope is of that. Uh, will be connected, and so uh, yeah, that's just that's just where we're heading. So you're not going to have Things that are just you know dumb and uh, not connected, and in this case, Unless it's not even not even a powered thing. It's just a, a you know your storage box for a pet that's going to get connected. Yeah, yes, yeah, so that's that's very nice until someone decides they want to drop an EMP or something, <laughs> <laughs> and then those devices aren't going to work. Although I suppose the grid will be out then anyway. So you've been watching too many movies, Jason. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think that that's the promise of Internet of Things, really everything and anything around us is ultimately connected. And, um, you know, I guess that's if you walk up to the refrigerator in the morning and it says you better have the orange juice because it's best before date is today, that's probably useful. And by the way, I've now ordered it and it will be arriving by delivery. That's useful. Again, it will come down to you know, where people see the real utility you know, in these things. But also I think you know, it's a smart move for these appliance makers to keep people within their ecosystem because um, mm. you're not going to change out for another brand if it's not going to talk to the others, I suspect. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, you know, it's interesting that the journey, and I was talking on um, uh, TV3 about this on Friday, was the, you know, the journey from where, you know, where we have things that aren't connected to where, where everything's connected and where we start seeing the useful things come in. And... Yeah, I think some of the ideas that we've maybe heard in the past seem sort of, you know, really, do I need a connected fridge? But as that picture sort of fills out a little bit more, we are starting to see maybe the more useful use cases, right? Which yeah. like, oh, actually, yeah, that, that might apply to me. Um, yeah, the mm. case of something that, that's expiring in your fridge is, is probably quite a, you know, quite a good one because... Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of food that does get wasted because because of expiry, and uh, you know you can solve solve that one, and you know, have a hundred other little uh, little improvements along the way. Then yeah, eventually it's worth it, and especially if it if it just becomes a standard thing in the fridge anyway. That you you know, ultimately we get to the point where it doesn't cost you any more to have a smart fridge. It's it's like buying a phone today, right? You know, yeah. the phones are cheaper than they than they've ever yeah. been. Uh, and you know, virtually the cheapest phones on the market, uh, you know, have got it Android or something, uh, you know, b- built into them. Yeah, it comes back to a little bit of my earlier point. You know, there's always a lot of technology that has a lot of features. At the end of the day, customers are going to decide what's really valuable and useful. It was something I learned, you know, when I worked with, um, you know, three in the UK in 2003, and we launched the world's first 3G network. You know, the three kind of product wells were video calling video messaging and football goals to your phone and it was impressive you know what you know the the research suggested the revenue would be off those three um uh, yep. product wells in 2003 well yep. today video calling i guess sort of video messaging i'm not sure if anyone really sends people video messages other than probably snapchat so a different platform and then football goals really was just content to your phone which didn't explode out into sort of other mm. opportunities but mm. you know at that time um, you could build these things and they look very, very exciting, but really it takes a while, you know, for customers to really adopt those technologies and then really to find the utility that actually has a commercial opportunity behind it. Yeah, it's it's true. And, I mean, there's so many features available to us, right, and many, you know, many of those things don't actually gain too much traction and there'll be a feature that maybe somebody likes and then the... Uh, the manufacturer or the software vendor will just say, oh, we didn't have enough traction with that, so we're killing it off. You know, you've got this user base yeah. that's, you know, shaking their fists and, you know, up in arms that their favourite features just, you know, uh, just just been, you know, kicked to the curb because, oh, look, there was only half a percent of users that used that. So, you know, sorry, I know you might be a group of, you know, um, uh, five million people, but, you know, sorry, yeah. we're not interested anymore. Well, it's like in video, slow motion, super slow motion and super, super slow motion. You know, there's how much slow motion do you really need? Yeah, yeah. I, I just had a, an idea when we were talking there. I imagine the smart fridge probably being quite useful to uh, Scarfies down in Dunedin. Yeah, 
you know, if, if the fridge can tell you what your bacteria count is and when, when it's time to clean, that could be quite a, a useful thing. Well, you know? probably it's probably more likely to send their parents a little <laughs> message to say that actually nothing in the fr- fridge should be eaten and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a package will arrive the next day, <laughs> which I'm sure the Scarfies would welcome. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, there are there are many uh, many possibilities um, now. A few other bits bits and pieces going on. Uh, Lightbox are um, upgrading their platform, uh, new premium option, pay movies. So there's a lot going on there. They're changing their underlying uh, technology platform. So yeah, it's I guess that's you know part of part of the journey for. Um, yeah, service providers, and you know, in their case, as our um, probably our most well-known sort of local, uh, you know, streaming provider, and they're up against uh, Netflix. Of course, they didn't have the uh, the financial resources of Netflix to pour into their platform, so yeah, they had to buy bits and pieces from um, uh, from other providers in order to deliver a deliver a solution. And yeah, that I guess um, at times will have some great benefits when there's a new platform that it makes sense for them to flick over to, and uh, they get access to a whole lot of new uh, capabilities. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see um, mm-hmm. how that goes. Apparently, um, Lightbox have got uh, what is it? I think um, three hundred thousand subscribers, mm. which is it sounds like a really big number. Um, but of course, Lightbox is a sort of you know part and parcel for uh, for many people of uh, of just being a Spark uh, customer. That's right. If it's bundled into your plan, then then you have it. I think you know the the challenge in these platforms is having a big catalogue of content. Um, you know, Netflix movies are free. Um, charging people to view movies, it's a question of whether competitively that's going to stack up for people. But if you're paying for the platform as part of your subscription for broadband, then you're likely to to stay sticky to that platform anyway. I would have thought. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, Jason, have you, have you used uh, Lightbox at all? Never used Lightbox. No, I'm a Netflix, Netflix guy. Net, Netflix all the way, and Craig. I have both. Yeah, um, you know, and I think it's certainly adding movies to Lightbox is a great, great move. Mm, mm. Uh, no question. Now, a bit of news came out. Um, actually, last week we had we had a special episode. For those who missed it, was our uh, special on uh, blockchain and, and cryptocurrency. So if you missed that and you're interested, then definitely want to uh, to go back on. But it has been. Um, a bit longer between uh, news stories and uh, about two weeks ago um, we heard about shopping cart um, uh, shopping cart uh, type technology trial that's uh, it's apparently going to um, going to hit Auckland uh, with foodstuffs Foursquare Ellerslie looking to um, move into technology that sounds uh, quite similar to Amazon Go. Um, mm. The idea of being able to uh, um, um, you know, not have to go through the usual uh, checkout processes and, uh, and, and so on. So uh, they're working um, with an Auckland com- company, uh, Imager, and uh, you know, they're, they're hoping to, uh, to you know, change the way things sort of work in store and I guess the bit about this that sort of um, 
I've been thinking about for a while actually is the the sort of might of a big player like Amazon who's maybe able to go in and disrupt certain markets but then on the flip side to that is that actually the technology that players like Amazon have um, isn't necessarily yeah, rocket science or a million million miles away from what others can can develop because of the I guess the broad access to uh, artificial intelligence technologies, the cloud, and so on. And this seems like uh, seems like an example uh, where you know something. You know, some people might have looked and said, "Well, how could the how could uh, you know supermarkets compete with Amazon if they've got all these yeah. technology advances?" And uh, you know, now we're seeing well. Yeah, maybe it won't be so hard for uh, uh, for others to match that that technology. Yeah, I, I really like this technology. It's it's a technology that Plexure we play in as well. I think you know for physical retailers to really compete with online retail, it has to take friction out of that experience. And clearly, there's a lot of friction in physical retail around queuing, uh, lining up to pay. Uh, and certainly technology we've built for McDonald's Japan recently, mobile order and pay, does exactly that. You can order your your meal on your phone. Uh, as soon as you start walking to the restaurant, it hits a geofence, so you're within a certain time frame of being there in the restaurant. Um, the order goes to the kitchen. When you walk in, it's on the screen, you pick it up, and it's taken all that friction out of not having to go to the queue, uh, to line up, uh, and so I think I really like this technology. Definitely, I think is the future of physical retail, mm. and it'll be really interesting to see how the trial goes in in grocery. Yeah, I'm, it's curious that you should mention that that's in that that's happening in uh, Japan with your technology mm. because when I first visited Japan, um, oh, it must have been yeah, fifteen or so years ago, one of the one of the things that stood out to me was walking into a I guess it was a, a local sort of fast food type uh, place, but they were serving, you know, um, noodles and you know, curry and things like yep. that. And um, you know, probably know more about uh, the Japanese, um, you know, eating culture than me. But um, um, and you you walked in and there was a machine on the wall, which you know, basically you press the button for whatever menu item you wanted. You would put your coins or your money into the machine. Um, and um, then you'd walk up to the counter and they would prepare your meal and, and, yeah. and hand it over. Now, you could still interact with them and say, oh, can I get add this or that to the order? But, um, you know, they'd already, you know, taken the teller mostly uh, out of the transaction and sort of, uh, you know, reduced, you know, even at that time, it reduced the workforce that was actually needed uh, to run that operation. And it, it's only been in the last, uh, you know, last couple of years or so that we've we've really seen anything like that reach New Zealand um, you know to any great degree and that's mm. with McDonald's yep. with their you know touchscreen type terminals and yeah when I saw that it just sort of you know made a lot of sense to me that oh yeah well look this just makes sense everyone's going to do it but uh, it took a very long time yeah that kiosk ordering I was in Tokyo last week actually and um, yeah, you, you can still walk along the streets and there's these kiosks attached to these noodle shops or whatever yeah. they are um, you're standing outside the restaurant you punch in your details you pay you walk in and then someone prepares the meal for you I think you know it may have come out of necessity in a place like that where space is pretty tight mm, mm. Uh, and so you actually have people queuing up on the pavement to make the order which is actually a smart use of the space rather than people queuing up inside your restaurant to make 
the order. Yeah. But certainly that technology has been around for a while. And certainly kiosk ordering um, is a trend which, you know, you know, more restaurants are ultimately going to adopt and they, and they should adopt as well because it is a far less friction um, built experience for customers. Mm. Um, talking of uh, Japan, I saw something uh, online the other day um, that out of Japan there are now um, robo-bees. Mm. Uh, that c- can um, actually um, yeah, do do uh, yeah, pollination. Um, so that was very uh, very yeah. int- interesting story to, uh, to to come across. I mean, again, it's sort of science fiction stuff becoming uh, yeah becoming real. It's, yeah, I, uh, it's it's incredible, isn't it? I think there was a movie about that, wasn't there? Where there were these robotic bees, which were then somebody managed to control and they were able to take over the world or something. But I think it, it is really interesting technology. You know, there's a lot of investment going into into that which you know i think is appropriate given what's happening with the decline of the bee population mm. i just wonder whether money should be putting back into the environment to sort of make sure that the bees are around to thrive because you know if we don't have bees how do we get our honey um but but certainly you know that's one part to it i guess the other part is you know building that at scale you know the bees are probably still the most efficient and cheapest way of pollinating um plants flowers whatever today um having lots of little um drones flying around is probably a fairly expensive model and I just wonder if we're to put the money back into fixing the environmental issues that might be a better use but it's great technology it's very very interesting yeah I mean it's a, it's a, it's a, I guess it's an interesting demonstration it's certainly not a mm. you know I, I don't think any of us are sort of hoping the world <laughs> goes to the point that we uh, uh, that, that's the only choice we've got yeah what are your thoughts Jason um, yeah my thoughts with this is um Oh, I find it really sad. Actually, it's um, you know the the fact that we have you. I mean, part of the reasons we've got declines in bees is from you know the neo nicotinoids and um, you know pesticides and things like that, which are and also climate change, which are contributing to collapses of bees. Um, but it, it's it's not just honey that we would lose if we lost bees. You know. It, um, po- you know, pollinators, um, flies, and things like that. If we lose them, it's all our food. We're we're actually gone ourselves as a species. So it's a it's a it's a really big issue. And um, and I guess these guys are doing it because that's like, oh well, maybe this is something we can do. But um, my thought is that maybe we should actually just. You know, get rid of all that chemical waste and the stuff that's actually destroying what nature does for us. Um, you know, problem solved. Maybe that's simplistic, but um. problem solved, Jason. You've just <laughs> solved the problems of the world. Thank you. Um, no, it's yeah, it's it's a good point. You know, we. Um, uh, yeah, we can wander off in all sorts of uh, directions, and uh, yeah, sometimes we need to uh, get back to uh, get back to the the basics, which are probably easier said than done in a lot of cases for for all sorts of reasons. And um, yeah, now on to um, another another item, um, and this one this came this was a local uh, local bit of detail that came through a survey that. Um, Unisys did in regards to people interacting with government um, via mobile apps and uh, New Zealand in particular. And uh, yeah, what I found interesting is that uh, people seem to be actually pretty keen 
uh, 57% of uh, Kiwis um, uh, like the idea of having one single mobile app that you could actually interact with, uh, with, with government on. Um, it's quite an interesting, interesting thought that if you could just have one app to, you know, to do all your all your government interactions, and you know, of course, at the moment we have different things from councils. We've got uh, census coming up uh, very soon, which is a you know a digital process. Uh, at some point in the future, uh, maybe if they can you know work out the, the challenges, we'll we'll end up with. Um, a digital form of uh, of voting, uh, and there's all sorts of other you know interactions around you know tax, whether it's for you know for businesses or whether it's for uh, for individuals. Um, there's things like you know getting passports and, and drivers licenses. Um, be very interesting if you could converge all of those things into uh, into a single app. Not sure it's probably going to be a reality anytime soon though. Well, I think you know that, that this is what tends to happen is that you know as people's experience of digital technologies and apps lifts, they sort of expect everybody to lift with that. And so, if you're delivering a service and you don't have an app or you don't have a single digital experience, people sort of wonder why that isn't happening. And I think it's probably mm-hmm. people would expect that the government should be able to provide one portal to all of your needs or engagement with 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 the government. I think most people believe that they share data between information between government services now anyway so that should make it a lot easier so I'm not surprised that people would be willing um, and trusting of that as a particular process yeah I mean I think and and you can d- download their um, um, you know the, the results of their uh, um, sur- survey um, their, their report on online and it goes into yeah quite a quite a few um, factors there but uh, yeah you certainly get you get a difference of opinion um, on on some of those privacy matters. I, I think um, that's that's for sure, and different expectations that people have. Uh, yeah, a lot of people just expect the government departments are just sharing everything. Um, yeah, whereas in actual fact, there are there is some structure around what they can and can't uh, do, and it's not all uh, you know, it's not all shared. Um, for yeah, and there's some pros and cons of that. Would you like? Uh, to move to move your government interactions to mobile, Jason. I don't. Would do, you prefer um, we get rid of the government entirely? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't do much like with my phone at all. I, you know, I just find the size of it. I'd, I'd, I'd rather use a web-based kind of uh, app, yep. I guess. So if if that sort of thing happened, then that would that would suit me better. Um, yeah, mobile. It's just. Um, it's just more problematic. Maybe if I had mm. a uh, mm. an iPad or something, that would yeah simplify it. Yeah, yeah, and of course everything's sort of moving to to voice as well, which is the 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 next phase. And uh, you know, I saw uh, something come through from Mercury Energy now that you'd be able to interact with them uh, using an Alexa uh, <laughs> skill, so you can you can use voice. I noticed the um, I was starting to set up a, a you know a few of the the smart home bits and pieces with uh, the Amazon uh, Alexa. Um, at home recently, I, I noticed that the um, the Dyson um, air purifier, you know, heater um, fan uh, thing, is a, just one of many things that you can uh, you can hook in. So yeah, it seems to be wherever you turn, there's um, uh, things that will tie in with voice. So 
um, yeah, maybe that's that's will be another way that we'll be able to interact with, uh, you know, with government too, right? Perhaps, yeah. I saw the trailer for the Mercury thing, and um, it, it was interesting that uh, Alexa had a, an Australian accent, and I just <laughs> just had to laugh, and I'm like, I wonder how well that's going to go down with. Kiwis. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it was a little <laughs> bit like I got a I got a communication from Need a voiceover. Uh, it's oh, what is it? It's a uh, was it Caltex? Um, basically a um, uh, a new sort of startup incubator that's coming across from Australia to New Zealand, and I got a yeah, direct message from the the. the GM or CEO sort of running it out of uh, Sydney and and was sort of saying hey we, you know we're going to be launching uh, we're, we're launching we're going to be bringing our, our accelerator to, to New Zealand or to Auckland and um, yeah there was the URL and it was a dot com dot au and it's sort of like oh, yeah, it's a little bit a little bit grating isn't it when when things aren't actually really local to us uh, uh, Kiwis we kind we kind of yeah there, there's there's, there's still something between New Zealand and and, and Australia that uh, yeah that can be know. a bit of a sticking point. Yeah, I, I think you know voice you know being able to communicate with voice out uh, definitely a lot of technologies. I think that's the easiest way to communicate. These probably the easiest way still to receive information is all in a text format or written format. So how those two things come together, I think, will be really interesting. Mm. Um, you know, having worked in the banking industry, I know that customers aren't big fans of the IVR processes, which are you know call essentially up, press, call up, press this button, one for this, um, two you know for that, those yeah. sorts of things. So it'll be interesting to see you know how people again adopt this sort of technology and they'll work out how usable it is and useful. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so I, th- I mean, I think there's a huge room for innovation and for that stuff to improve. And I, I have noticed that a lot of the Alexa skills, which are effectively, the, you know, the, the apps for, um, um, you know, for, for talking to the, the Amazon Echo, uh, have very low ratings. If, you know, they're, they're very hard to find something that's got sort of a five star rating. Most things sort of one, two, maybe you know, maybe three, because people have these dreams of, oh, so I'm going to be able to interact with Mercury Energy. This is great. So, you know, I'll be able to ask them anything. I'll be able to, you know, ask them to uh, reconnect my power that's disconnected. Oh no, that's not going to work because Alexa's not working. I've got no power, so hmm. that wouldn't work. But you know, the, 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 <laughs> but expectations that are very high, like you know, equivalent of talking to people, or you know, maybe if they can't get the result, that it then would, uh, you know, initiate a a call to customer service and so on, but I, you know, I don't think we're quite there yet with most of uh, most of those things. Um, oh well, that's um, that's yeah, that's the nature of the the journey. We don't always get uh, perfection right at the start. Now, Craig Plexure, yes. you've got to fill us in on uh, on what's uh, what what's going on since you've made this journey in here to see us. Yeah. Uh, you know, very keen to uh, to hear a bit about the business and you know. Mm-hmm. What are you up to, and you know yep. why is your technology, uh, you know, getting used all around the world? What's uh, what's yeah. exciting, uh, you know, your customers? Yeah, so as I said, we've, we have um, you know over fifty million customers worldwide who engage with our platform. Um, How do you, you know, define a 30, customer? Is that sort of an end user? It's that's an end, using end user an, an that's, that's that interacting with the, your yeah, with, with, that, with the with the technology. You're in over thirty different countries, so we have a good scale uh, to the business. McDonald's is a key customer of ours, as I mentioned. IKEA and also Seven Eleven, and here in New Zealand, Lorty New Zealand, and also Heart of the City. Um, 
in essence, what we're trying to do is take the friction out of physical retail, and that friction is queuing, um, payments, those sorts of things, but also when people in physical retail using smart technology analytics so that you can actually push the messages to help upsell them or cross-sell them in the moment contextually in that space. Right. So that works very well in the restaurants, quick service restaurant industry. Uh, you walk in um, and you know, there's a geofence there that recognises that you're in that particular place, whether it be GPS or Wi-Fi or Beacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once you're there, we know who you are because we have your customer profile because you have the app and we can give you an offer uh, or an incentive to buy something you like or to try something else. And then to close loop that through to their point of sale technologies as well to make payments. So that's really the space you know, that we're operating in. And we're mm. seeing a lot of adoption um, of those you know, technologies around the world. Uh, and it's a very exciting you know, business to be in. It's sort of part of what is marketing automation today, you know, mm. moving um, marketing, connecting to customers in real time in the moment rather than you're putting an advertisement in a magazine and asking them to do something, come in and see you or take some action. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very interesting part of the industry to be working in today. Now, you mentioned beacons there. Mm-hmm. Um, There's sort of Bluetooth, isn't it? The Bluetooth yeah. uh, the beacons. How, you know, how much use of that are we, um, are we seeing out there? Because, I mean, that's not something that, that you would notice that it, that is there. Um, we've talked about the technology in the past for uh, the blind, for instance. The, yep. um, yeah, the Blind Foundation, I know, we, you know, we worked on, um, you know, some projects around this, including in, uh, in Wellington and putting beacons and, you know, yep. public transport and into stores and, and so on. Um, you know, how ubiquitous is, is this technology sort of becoming or is it still very early days? It's becoming more and more so. I think the early days of beacon technology were better operated and now, which is always a problem. But really, the, you know, the promise of beacons is to take what is a, a geofence of what a, a mobile network might be able to do to, to have 30 metres circumference down to much smaller um, fields. So if you think about what we do for IKEA, that means that if you're hovering over the cutlery area in an IKEA and you walk away, we can incentivize you to come back if there's something we know which is on your wish list that right. you may have wanted. Or if we know you've been sitting in the queue for too long, we can send you a message and have you concierge to a different kind of checkout or experience. So that helps you pinpoint uh, valuable customers or any customer. Yep. and help yep. move them through, you know, the experience you want to create in your physical retail. Yeah. Okay. So beacons, you know, and um, GE Current, you know, is looking at putting beacons and lighting systems. So every, you know, installation of any building right. needs lights. So yep. if you have a beacon yep. in there, it makes, sort of makes sense. Yep. So then you're able to sort of target a person, particularly in that particular spot. Right. And that's that whole thing of the cost of technology coming down. So yep. it just... It just gets thrown into things. We don't have to think. You know, how do we yeah. how do we do that? Because you build them into every every light fitting or that's right. Yeah, yeah. whatever's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's really interesting. And so the technology that you you offer, do you offer um, sort of a complete solution to customers, or does it sort of tie in with other things they're doing? So if they've got a mobile app they've already developed they can just tap into your yep. uh you know your technology and and utilize it that way is that sort of the you know, yep. common sort of approach it's great so we're not an app developer most of the customers we work with already have an app but they tend to be silly fairy brochure we are orientated so we really put sort of the smarts underneath that app to help them engage with them by seeing when they're in a particular place mm. um sending them an offer um, advertising communication um create a loyalty experience 
or any of those sorts of things, which is going to create a better, richer experience for that customer in that particular place. Mm. So that's sort of making the app a lot more um, contextual and relevant in real time. Um, so that means that we can change whatever is communicated to you depending on the weather or you know other things that are going on around you as well. So it's really putting that smart. So if you think about Amazon Go, where you swipe your phone, you walk in and you pick up a sandwich and walk out, you know, yep. which isn't shoplifting anymore, that's charged to your Amazon account. <laughs> yeah. It's really been able to recognize that's the layer over the top of that, which is a smart technology that knows that when I come in, I'm probably going to go for a soup and a cheese sandwich. Uh, and so offering me something else that may be relevant or smoothing that out. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting thought, actually, that, you know, the technology comes in, you walk into the store, it, it, it knows that it's you, mm. it pulls out, you know, puts in front of you the, the things that you might most be interested in and, yeah, uh, yeah maybe tries to upsell it or, you know, put something else in there that might be uh, yeah. uh, might be helpful to you as well. Or in case of food, it might be unhelpful to you. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of interesting. So looking at McDonald's, you know, you mentioned you're working with them in something like 30 countries. Um what do you what do you do with McDonald's? What does that uh, look like? Well, so we, we've built. Um, so we have a we work with their app, and we have an instance of that app which runs across you know, a lot of these countries. So we can um, uh, they can activate that service from us, and they can then customize it. So you know they can send us an order in a new country or a new market, and so they want to use our service, and within three days they're up and running campaigns in those particular markets where they can load campaigns. Uh, to put in front of customers in the moment, you know, through the app. So that's a, a big part of what we do. Right. And, of course, the order and pay piece, mobile order and pay, is another piece that we're developing with them, as is loyalty programs, you know, right. depending on the particular market they're in, yep. uh, the sort of points-based program uh, that they want to put in play or what sort of incentives they want to put around rewarding a customer mm. uh, for their custom. It certainly seems like there, there's, there is a, a you know, real opportunity to improve you know, retailer apps, you know, most of what we've had today, they haven't been very good, uh, whether it's something as, you know, having your uh, uh, your supermarket app, mm. um, you know, be able to, with beaconing, help you navigate around when you're looking for that item and you're someone that doesn't spend much time in that supermarket has no idea where to find it. Yep. Uh, that that sort of thing could be, uh, could be helpful and, uh, you know, we've heard recently about you know placing an order online and then the app figuring out that you're you're you know, yep. closing in on the supermarket so they get the order uh ready for you to pick up yep. and uh the loyalty things that uh that you've mentioned i think yeah it certainly makes a lot of sense because a lot of these apps you install them why is that on my phone i never yep. use it it's no yep. use to me it's a waste of time it's also those single login technologies as well so if you're on your computer and your in your browser and you put things into a particular wish list then when you're out and about on your mobile phone then you've also got that login there which then prompts you to say over in this particular part of the store is a thing that you're interested in um, there's those sorts of technologies as well which i think is you know really exciting for customers hmm. yeah i think there's there's probably uh yeah plenty more op- opportunities ahead then to uh to keep you busy, we're not really at the end of the road with this sort of tech, are we? No, we're just starting. And I think, you know, this is where, you know, um, capabilities are growing all the time. Um, and also, you know, businesses and brands are being, to some degree, sort of forced down this journey because the experience has been created by others as well. So people, as I said, 
come to expect that, you know, if you have an app and it does these sorts of things for this particular engagement you have, then on another uh, business you expect the same level of service. So these things will become the new norm. Um, mm. So long as it's relevant, uh, wherever we go, we get pushed opportunities that are relevant to us where we've selected exactly what it is we want to receive and why. Um, I think people will come used, they'll become very familiar with that as a technology and we'll see that it's very useful and we'll be taking a lot of friction out of um, physical retail experiences, which, as I say, you know, is, is really important um, given you know, the strength of online retailing today. Mm. Now, um, uh how big is is Plexure now in terms of a team? You're you know you're listed on the NZX, aren't mm-hmm. you? Yep. Um, so you've you've got you know reporting and all those sorts of things to to do. Yes, that's uh, correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your team size here, and uh, you know where do, where do you expect to go? What's the future look like? Yeah, so we have we have thirty five uh, a team here in Auckland. Um, it's a very diverse crowd. We have nineteen different nationalities. Uh, in the business, which is very exciting. Uh, we have um, some people in the States. Uh, we have a team up in Japan that services the McDonald's client, um, and we're just starting to rebuild. We'll build a team in Europe as well. Um, so you, what we're finding is that you know, customers, you, know, you, can, you can serve customers, you can build technology which is cloud-based from anywhere in the world, mm. but it comes a point where they actually want you know, that real in-time zone support and people to be able to talk to them about their next iteration of what they might be doing and that's what we're finding you know in terms of what we've built the additional modules we sell to customers they're looking more and more for us to be in the places where they are and so that's kind of where we're looking to sort of grow grow our teams Mm. oh that's good Mm. now um yeah, in terms of uh, listeners who might be, uh, you know, curious whether you're the the next, uh, you know, tech firm that should be jumping on board with what sort what sort of uh, what sort of people are you tending to employ? So we so a lot of engineers, as you can imagine, um, data scientists, CRM consultants, and uh, general account management type people as well, and, and ultimately sales people as well to some degree. So a broad range of what you might expect, uh, you know, for any particular business. But the vast majority of people would be engineers, um, you know, that sit there and build the technology for us. Mm. And then our consulting division has those data scientists and CRM consultants that help go in and work with customers' data and look at the problem they're trying to solve and therefore help them come up with the sort of customers they want to target with what sort of offers and make those campaigns work for them in market. Yeah, good, good. Mm. All right. Oh, it's been it's been great. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for joining the show. Thank and you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Now that's it for uh, for this week. So um, now, if listeners want to get a little bit more info, um, Jason, on you, where do they where do they go to check out some of your photography? Uh, just my website www.jasonhosking.com. Excellent. We'll put a link up there. And um, what social media are you sort of most uh, most active on? Instagram, uh, being a being a visual sort of guy. Yeah, it was Instagram, but the ads are driving me nuts at the moment. So that, <laughs> that might be changing. <laughs> but we could track you down there as well, right? You can, yeah, 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 yeah. This week. And uh, Craig, are you you on social media, or what is the best best place to see? Uh, yeah, Plexure dot com is yeah. uh, sort of our main communications vehicle for for the business. So yeah, yeah, good. And uh, and if if anyone is interested in, in getting in in touch, that's the best place to get in touch through the website. Yeah, well, send me an email, or my details are on there. Absolutely, yeah. excellent. Oh, that's good. 
Well, thanks very much, guys. Uh, it's been uh, it's been great. Uh, people can track me down on social media, Paul Spain across uh, LinkedIn and uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, and you're also welcome to uh, email me through paulspain.com. All right. Well, that's us. We'll catch you all again next week. Thanks for joining us. And a little reminder, if you want to hear a little bit more uh, or a lot more on uh, Mobile World Congress, then uh, definitely have a look at the uh, Mobile Tech Podcast up there at uh, worldpodcast.com. All right. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.